Again, welcome to Palm Sunday, and with that in mind, we invite you to look at the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11. This is one of the several incidents in the Gospels that record that fateful entry of our Savior. Um, and let me, by way of reminder, remind you that uh, Nate will be here this evening. He's here now with his sweet family, and we're grateful for that, but he'll be back tonight, so be a part of that. Um, I was hoping to conclude our series in Colossians, but I've decided to just focus on our Easter uh, season here this week and next especially. But there is one verse I wanted you to be aware of in the book of Colossians that I think ties in here as well. Uh, there are years ago, I don't know if they still do this, but different Christian circles, you were called to find a, a life verse, a verse that would capture what you believe life should be about. And I remember... Uh, in many ways, being as a young Christian trying to figure that out. But one of the favorite verses for me is Colossians 3, verse 17. And it really captures the richness, I think, of what I want you to remember about the Colossians series, what Paul was about. And I think it ties in with what we should be about as Christians on Easter. And it's simply this. Paul says, whatever you do, in word or deed, do it in the name of Jesus. So friends, as we depart by God's grace in different directions, that's one thing I want you to remember about my passion for you, that you would be increasingly lovingly obsessed <laughs> with the honor of Jesus. Whatever you do, whatever you think, whatever you say, do it in the name for the reputation of Jesus. And that ties in well with what we are about here because in a real sense, uh, like Jesus, all of us are on a roadway, aren't we? We're on a journal, a journey. Um, you can keep a journal, but we're on a journey uh, in this thing called life. And you think about it this way. I think when you, when you know where you are going in this journey, it, it really helps in determining just how you get there, doesn't it? And as you proceed in this journey... Sometimes things work out just right in your preparation without any real glitches or problems or distractions. But then there's other times, isn't it, when there are constant roadblocks that make you feel like you're never going to get where you're trying to get to. I've mentioned to this you in the past, but Bev and I are preparing for a roadway destination where we finally get to see our children and grandchildren we haven't seen for over a year. We're preparing for that. And one of the ways that we've been preparing um, to get ready for that celebration of hugging, uh, and we're going to get there, one of the first hurdles is this COVID thing, right? So we've got our first vaccine. We got it a few weeks ago. We set up the appointment, and we were so excited that that Wednesday we were about to get that. Um, well, Tuesday night at 1030, I got a text saying, your appointment has been canceled. No explanation, no response. You're done, pal. Don't come. Well, talk about distraction. I get that email without any explanation. It was a definite disappointment, but it didn't deter my desire and our goal to get to our grandchildren. Yes, we had to resolve the situation, and thanks be to God it was, but it made the goal all the more desirable. We've got to get there no matter what. 
Friends, we'll see here that Jesus was on the royal roadway on Palm Sunday. And this day, I want you to see, was not an isolated event, but it was one that was part of the preparation of the ultimate goal, the ultimate goal, and how he, Jesus, dealt with the daily blessings and challenges of life. That would be a reflection of what was a picture in his heart and mind? What drove him every day to pursue the things that he was pursuing? To make the most of each day? Because in a real sense, he saw that all of this fit together. You know, if anything, as you watch Jesus, if anything, the closer he got to his destination, I think the more confident and clear he seemed to become. He had been increasingly telling his disciples exactly what was going to happen to him and why. And he knew that this royal roadway was going to lead to his death. But it wouldn't end there. It would lead to his resurrection. But it wouldn't end there. It would finally lead to his ascension to his father his final destination. He was going to return to the glory he had shared before. Friends, keep in mind, keep in mind this, that there is always something else, always something else going on than just what's in front of you and me. You and I are all on a journey, but not to the same destination. The big picture The big picture is to have a bigger view of the cross of Jesus Christ, his resurrection, and his ascension. And that begs the question right up front for you and me, where are you headed? So let's look at Jesus' entry here in Mark's Gospel, chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. Here again, the word of the Lord. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem... To Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it. And will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to, said to them, Why are you doing what are you doing? Why are you untying a colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went out before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest! And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around it, everything and it was already late he went out to Bethany 
with the twelve. So there are a lot of things happening in this familiar event for many of us. And there's clearly, as you see, there's a cast of characters, aren't there? The crowds, the Pharisees, the disciples, and the owner of that colt or donkey. And the palms are, are clearly symbolic of that royal entry. But I want to focus not so much on those events and those people. I want to focus now on Jesus and his perspective of what was happening as Jesus rode on this mule or donkey and heard the things and saw the things and experienced. What was Jesus processing in this eventful royal roadway? This parade of events and people was obviously leading to the cross that he would very soon face. Palm Sunday for many of us, this is not so much a criticism, but just an observation. Palm Sunday is an all too familiar story that many of us have heard for years. You don't need the Bible to tell you what happened on Palm Sunday, right? You could almost recite this verbatim. Yet remember, friends, Palm Sunday was a part of a bigger picture of what was leading Jesus to his final destination. So with that in mind, I want to look more closely at how our Savior saw this day unfolding and how connected everything really was for him. So I want to consider it from two perspectives here from Jesus' view. I want to look at it from the life of Christ in terms of of what it represented in this final week. One is the fact that I want us to see that Jesus was coming with a mature faith. He was coming with a mature faith, but he was also coming with a secure faith. What was Jesus thinking and experiencing? And I would argue it was an effect on his faith that brought him to this moment of time. So let's look at this idea of this mature faith on this Palm Sunday. And as that phrase implies, a mature faith really is a growing faith, isn't it? You and I as Christians can't say, hey, I finally arrived. I got it. I can coast from now on, right? Raise your hand if you're there. If you do, I'll ask you to leave. (laughs) A, A mature faith is one where you are growing in your understanding. And I would suggest the essentials of a mature faith are twofold. You've got to have both knowledge and experience. To mature in your faith, you've got to have the knowledge of God and the experience of God. And as you see here in this this event in Jesus' life of this Palm Sunday, Jesus was not responding impulsively to what was happening right in front of him. Jesus was bringing with him a life of training in the things of God. Look back at the life of Jesus. In in the rightful Jewish tradition, Jesus as a young person was thoroughly and consistently taught the things of God from the word of God. From day one, that little baby All he heard and understood was the things of God from the word of God. 
the knowledge of the history of God's redemption, that was an integral part of his life from the beginning of his early experience. And if you're familiar with the Gospels, we don't know much about his life before he went public, but we know enough. From a young age, this Jesus seemed to be increasingly hungry to know and understand the things of God. And one of the most sweet pictures of that is in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. Remember, this is when his family went to their annual visit to the temple to celebrate Passover. They all gathered, and this was a huge gathering that all the families came to the temple to celebrate the Passover. So the families came and traveled, and then the families left, went back to their homes. And we find in Luke's account that after a few days, Mary and Joseph said, where's Jesus? Started asking, where's Jesus? I don't know, I haven't seen him. Wait a minute, it's three days late. Where's Jesus? This 12-year-old, where's that boy? Has anyone seen him? No. What would a parent do? (laughs) Stop everything. (laughs) We've got backtrack. We're going to go back, find out where he is. What's happened to our son? Where is he? Is he in trouble? Has someone taken, what's going on? And you know what happened. Look what Luke says. They go back, and where do they find him? In the temple. And listen to what Luke says. Quote, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. (laughs) This 12-year-old boy was saying the things of God are important. I understand much, but I want to know more. I want to understand this God in its fullness, in his history, his redemption, all that. I can't get enough of understanding who God is and how he has worked in history. So he was filled with the prophets, with the Old Testament writings. He had such an awareness of this. But as I said, the other essential we see in this idea of a mature faith was his growth not only in the knowledge of his God, but in the grace or the experience of God. The young Jesus would set a pattern in his relationship to his heavenly father that would grow more and more precious for the rest of his earthly life. What was this Jesus riding in on a cult? What was he bringing with him? A mature faith. The Greek word for grace, again, it has many facets. But in this context, I would suggest that this Greek word for grace is favor. God's favor towards his son. And we see that expressed right in the beginning of his earthly ministry, After he was baptized by John in the Jordan and he came up out of that baptism experience. Matthew describes the incident this way. It culminated in the heavens seemingly opening and a voice declared this. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. How do you think that made Jesus feel? To have the word, the voice of God that he'd been learning all of his life. And he comes into this public arena, baptized for the sake of his calling. And he hears his father say, 
that's my son. I'm pleased with him. Do you think Jesus was just appreciating an abstract knowledge of his God? No. This is my father's voice speaking to me. What better way to start his public adventure than to be publicly affirmed and loved by the father above? Oh, what a way to begin life. You know, as we follow the life and ministry of Jesus, we see that same work in different ways, don't we? God would affirm his son's faith through the power of miracles and the teachings of Jesus that literally changed people's lives. And we see that as well, that he made it a practice. Jesus made it a practice to be in the presence of his father by faith through prayer. The son of God had to pray, had to, in faith, cry out to his God. Yes, it wasn't always easy and comfortable, but it was always essential. This is where he would pour out his heart to his father and be reminded by his father of his promises as well as his presence. Jesus had a mature faith, didn't he? Based on all that he had gone through. This is a good place to pause for a question for all of us to consider. And this question is not simply this, hey, how's your prayer life? How are you doing praying to Jesus? It's not simply that. It's to ask, how is your faith maturing, brothers and sisters? How is your faith maturing? Yes, prayer is absolutely critical. But so is the need to see God working in and through you in different seasons of life. So I want us to see in this fateful royal entry of Jesus, he was coming into Jerusalem. He was coming perfectly prepared in knowledge and in grace because of the three years of his public ministry he had in this world. Think about it. He was coming on a donkey, having palms laid out on the roadway. And the crowds were declaring, Hosanna. To seeing him as a descendant of David, King David. And friends, I want you to see that to Jesus, this was no surprise. This was actually some beautiful dots getting connected And he was watching it happen right before his eyes. Yes, this is exactly what my God has said in his word. And it's focusing on his promises to me. So we see that Jesus was coming with a mature faith. But the second aspect of what I'm suggesting regarding Jesus and what was happening in him in this fateful day and his faith was that his mature faith was also becoming a secure faith. And it's simply this, friends. The more he saw God's faithful promises coming to pass, I believe the more confident he became in facing the final and ultimate goal when he saw it all coming together and seeing that God was behind it all. This secure faith, it's more implied necessarily than seen in this passage, but nevertheless, I believe it's real and relevant. Jesus' security came not from himself. It came from what he learned and what he experienced 
in his previous seasons of life. The promises of God the Father. The promises were always true. And his presence, God's presence with Jesus was always dependable. Jesus knew that no matter what. No matter what God is still faithful and present. You know, the dictionary describes security this way. It says security is, quote, fixed or fastened so as not to give way, become loose, or be lost. I'm suggesting as our faith grows and matures, it becomes therefore more secure and anchored. The beauty of the Christian faith, the beauty of the Christian faith is that we learn more and more that our faith is not anchored in our ability. It's anchored in the object of our faith. Who do you believe in? Not your ability to believe, but who do you believe in? Boy, the more you see that, the more you see that, the more it does something to our soul. But I want you to hear this, my friends. What we believe in the Christian faith, we don't believe primarily in a concept or a philosophy But first and foremost, we believe in a person. And the security comes in knowing that God, the person, is personally present in my life. This is a living God. This is not a wonderful concept. Jesus, the Son of God, is the object of our hope and faith. So we see that Jesus' entry on this royal roadway... It really was. I want you to put yourself in as much as you can in his place. It was going to culminate these crowds affirming what God had been declaring about his son all his life. Look again at what Jesus saw happening right before his eyes. Look again at verses 8 through 10. Many spread their cloaks on the road. Others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. What was Jesus thinking when he saw these things happening? I would suggest it was almost like an out-of-body experience. Jesus was saying, yes, yes. Yes, God, this is actually the culmination of what you've called me to. This is the fulfillment of your promises. I am a descendant of the king, David. I am the final king that the world has been looking for. And they are bowing, they are worshiping. This is what you have promised in your word and you have promised to me. Because Jesus knew the scriptures so well and knew his father in heaven Think about it. It would affect his faith both now and in the immediate future. And let me suggest two things quickly that Jesus knew that made his faith all the more secure for what he was also about to face during this fateful week. The first is simply this, that that God's word is trustworthy and dependable. 
when he, what he says he will do. And Jesus knew that, and he saw that power throughout his own life of the power of God's promises and his word. And he saw that most clearly, I would suggest, at the beginning of his public ministry. You know what happened after Jesus came out of that baptism and that experience? He immediately went into the wilderness, didn't he? And was tempted by the evil one. Physically and vulnerably weak, weak, and the evil one comes at him. But each time Jesus responded, not with his own argument, did he? But with his father's promises that he knew. Promises like man shall not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. Or he'll say again when Satan tempted him, he doesn't argue with Satan. He says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And finally, Jesus declares, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. That's not Jesus coming up with a great argument. That's Jesus quoting God's word. The power Jesus knew. And Jesus knew firsthand the blessing and promise of his father. And that as he said to his disciples, my food is to do the will of my father. I, that's what keeps me alive. But the other thing I would suggest is not simply that he knew the dependency of God's word. The other thing I suggest that Christ made his faith secure was that he knew the character of his father. And in particular, his father's providential presence. God is sovereign and therefore controls all things. Jesus knew that. And Jesus had been practicing what he had been preaching all his life, didn't he? Which was the call to walk by faith and not by sight. Think about it. The Son of God who was from all eternity in the presence of his father, was now in an earthly situation, limited. His father was not in the same way with him. It must have been particularly strange to know he was for a time in some way away from the father's glory. But he seemed to know he was still never alone. Jesus seemed to understand that no matter what was happening, before his very eyes, be it blessings or curses, his faith was securely resting in his Father's presence and promises. And think about this, friends. In a few short days, that would literally, that would be all he had to rely on in what would be his darkest hour. What have I got? I've got nothing Everything tangible has abandoned me. All I've got is God's promises to me. All I've got is his presence that he's promised to be with me no matter what. That's all I've got. Everything else has been taken away from me. That's all I've got. That's all he would need. So as we think about Palm Sunday and this Easter season, let me conclude by asking the same question I asked in the beginning. What roadway are you on? What road are you traveling? Friends, we are all, we are all going somewhere. 
But how do our todays prepare us for those tomorrows? As a follower of Jesus, every day and every season of life, it is designed by God to mature you and secure you in your faith in Christ. But hey, ask any Christian, ask any Christian, and they will tell you that doesn't mean less trouble and earthly bliss. Amen? It's hard. It's hard. Sometimes I don't feel God. Sometimes I don't see him. It's hard. Sometimes the way is hard and confusing, but our hope is not in ourselves or our circumstances. Our hope is in the promises and in the presence of Almighty God. As though that's all I had, because that's all you need. Do you believe that, Christian? Think about it. What would sustain Jesus in his darkest hour when he felt abandoned, even by his Father? What made him hold on? As Christians... The destination of our roadway is clear. It is clear, friends, because of the promise and the work of Jesus. Our destination is clear. We will be with him in eternity. But in the meantime, in the meantime, our call, like his, is to endure and to mature. As the scriptures declare... The writer of Hebrews says this about what you and I should be about as professing Christians. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. It's about faith, friends. You want a more secure faith, a more mature faith? Keep your eyes on Jesus. That's how you're going to grow. That's how you're going to be secure the more you understand the living word and the living presence. But I must pause even in this season and ask the question for those of you who are not necessarily on this roadway of the Christian faith and you perhaps see this Easter season maybe as another sentimental religious celebration that honestly doesn't seem to have any real relevance for you. This is not so much a criticism, it's, a, it's an invitation, it's an urgency. I would beg you. Would you look again at the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus? And ask this simple question. What road was he on? And what road am I on? What was Jesus doing with his life? What am I doing with my life? My friends, may this Easter season, oh, may it be more than just getting out from winter and away from COVID-19. Oh, my God, may it instead be a time when our hearts and our minds are more alive, and perhaps for the first time, more alive to the incredible life, death, and resurrection of the Son of God. And may Jesus Christ be praised. Amen. Let's pray together.
Our good and gracious Father in heaven, we thank you again that you have come to us. We thank you for seasons like this where, as a church, we pause. We pause to remember what it meant for Jesus not just to come as a babe, but to come as a king riding on a colt, on a donkey. What it meant for Jesus to follow that road to the end, to his own agonizing, abandoned death. Oh God, make us a people who don't want to just be happy at Easter, but want to be alive, mature, and secure in the love of God in Jesus. Help us to see that you are not only worthy of our trust, but your promises are true, your presence is real, and that we can have peace that endures no matter what we face, because Jesus has faced it all for us. And we thank you in his precious and holy name. Amen. I invite you to stand together and sing a hymn that reminds us of what Jesus went through, where he could say at the end, even, it is well with my soul. <laughs>